This is RCT number 29, He Ascended into Heaven. We are in the Roman Catechism of Trent, RCT, pages 76 to 80 in the Tan Publishers book. We are in the Creed, Article 6, Section A. The Lord give you his peace, and nomine patri sefiri, spiritu santi, amen. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasure of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls, O good one. In nomine patri sefiri, spiritu santi, amen. Article 6, he ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The importance of this article. Filled with the Spirit of God and contemplating the blessed and glorious ascension of our Lord, the prophet David exhorts all to celebrate that splendid triumph with the greatest joy and gladness. Clap your hands, all ye nations. Shout unto God with the voice of joy. God is ascended with jubilee. Psalm 46. The pastor will learn hence that this mystery should be explained with the greatest diligence, and that he should take care that the people not only perceive it with faith and understanding, but they, they also receive as far as possible with the Lord's help to reflect in it in their lives and actions. The first part of this article, he ascended into heaven. With regard then to the exposition of this sixth article, which has reference principally to this divine mystery, we shall begin with its first part and point out its force and meaning. Into heaven. This then the faithful must believe without hesitation, that Jesus Christ, having fully accomplished the work of redemption, ascended his man, body and soul, into heaven. For as God, he never forsook heaven, filling as he does all places with his divinity. Okay, me here for the first time today. Notice right there that when Jesus lived on earth, for those 30 plus years, still as God, he was also in heaven. And of course on earth and everywhere as we hear in the opening Byzantine prayer that we do. Now I want to talk about something that I heard in my life a long time ago on the ascension that was totally wrong, and then we're going to correct it. At my Jesuit high school, I remember 30 years ago being at a gymnasium mass, and a Jesuit priest preached on the ascension. I still remember what he said. He said, it's not like Jesus was a rocket who shot up into heaven. Okay, of course not. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody believes that. But what was this Jesuit doing? Well, he was setting up a straw man argument against the physical resurrection, or rather the physical ascension of Christ. This Jesuit diabolically planted into the heads of hundreds of high school boys that if you believe in the physical ascension of Christ, then you must believe he had rocket shoes on. Now, of course, we as Orthodox Catholics do not believe Jesus had rocket shoes on at the Ascension. But that does not mean we deny he physically went up into heaven. In fact, that is exactly what we believe, that Jesus Christ physically went into heaven, body and soul, by his own power. We hear that in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so that Jesuit at my high school 30 years ago, he used a straw man argument against the second glorious mystery of the rosary, that is the ascension. He basically argued it was not historically true, but here's the thing, if a parent were to complain against it, then he has this plausible deniability of saying, oh, no, 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 I just denied Jesus had rocket shoes on. And then, of course, the parent looks like an idiot. Not that there were really any parents at my Jesuit high school who would have cared, except for the single dad of one of my close friends. Anyway, this probably shows this diabolical sneakiness of destroying kids' faith, why Jesus said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Why? Because he just taught all these little ones, even though I guess they were growing high school guys, all of us, taught us the ascension of Jesus was not historical. Okay, of course we as Catholics do believe it was historical and it was physical. Jesus literally went up into heaven, but he didn't have rocket shoes on. I think probably all the kids out there know that. Oh, and by the way, I just found out that uh, one of the bishops out there who many people think is pro-life and even orthodox does not even believe Adam and Eve existed. I tell you guys this stuff not to ruin your day, but so that you just trust the old school stuff out there like the Roman Catechism of Trent. Because nowadays we're not talking about small heresies. If a quote-unquote pro-life bishop out there doesn't even believe Adam and Eve existed, that man has overturned inerrancy of scripture in his mind and doesn't know it. We're talking about modernism having taken over nearly the entire church by now in the 21st century. But don't fear, because either Jesus returns soon, or we have the example in history during the Arian crisis. Did you know only three bishops were needed by God to restore the entire empire to Trinitarian Christianity? St. Athanasius, and St. Hilary of Poitiers, and St. Nicholas. And by the way, St. Nicholas, he's also the patron saint against child T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-I-N-G. Not sure about the algorithms on our host. Why? Because of some kids he saved from that. Do you see how doctrinal purity and protection of children goes hand in hand even way back then? And why, just as we learned from VIGANO in uh, August of 2018, why scandals on both doctrine and children parallel each other often in the lives of the villains in the Catholic Church? And by the way, yes, that is the Saint Nick of the gifts in December. The Catechism again, he ascended. The pastor is also to teach that he ascended by his own power, not being taken up by the power of another, as was Elias, who was carried to heaven in a fiery chariot, see 4 Kings 2.11, or as the prophet Habakkuk, Daniel 14.35, or Philip, the deacon, who were born through the air by the divine power and traversed great distances. Neither did he ascend into heaven solely by the exercise of his supreme power as God, but also by virtue of the power which he possesses as man. Although human power alone was insufficient to accomplish this, yet the virtue with which the blessed soul of Christ was endowed was capable of moving the body as it pleased, and his body, now glorified, readily obeyed the behest of the soul that moved it. Hence we believe that Christ ascended into heaven as God and man by his own power. Me again. Okay, a few things. First of all, notice that Jesus not only ascended by his own power as God, but even did so as his own power as man. How is this? Three reasons. First, because of the hypostatic union between his divinity and humanity. Secondly, because of his glorified state following the resurrection that we just heard described. And thirdly, what he had merited by his blood. We're going to hear those words a, few la a little bit later in this 
podcast merited by his blood. Now, is God, of course, he merited nothing. Why? Because all is his from all of eternity. Everything in heaven and earth is the second person of the Trinity's, the eternal words from all of eternity. But in Christ's humanity, we can speak of merit, and that was merited by his whole life, but especially by his passion and his crucifixion. Okay, let's talk about heaven. Who's in heaven? Well, there's many people in heaven. How about body and soul? Uh, I mean, there's many souls in heaven. Who's also there in body? Well, of course, we can speak of Mary. Mary also went to heaven, but that was not by her own power. Now, Mary and Jesus went to what St. Thomas Aquinas calls the Empyrean heaven. That's just heaven itself, Empyrean heaven. Okay, but if it's just heaven itself, why do I have to use that word Empyrean at all? Well, because the Catechism just mentioned Elias, also known in the New Translations as Elijah, well, he went to an atmospheric heaven, and he's waiting there with Enoch to come and battle the Antichrist at the end of time. Now, I know this sounds fantastical to people out there who are new to tradition, as I am, but it's right out of the Fathers and St. Thomas Aquinas. So listen to what, Saint, listen to what Taylor Marshall writes on this, quoting St. Thomas Aquinas. Taylor writes, as you can see, these two men did not die. He's talking about uh, Enoch and Elias. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, they are preserved in the atmospheric heaven, which is identified with earthly paradise, but not the Empyrean heaven, heaven proper. See Summa Theologiae, third part, question 9, article 5. So again, if this sounds like devotion, not dogma to you, go to the Summa, part 3, question 49, article three, article 5. You can see here, this is what we believe as Catholics. Dr. Marshall continues, St. Thomas, in agreement with the Church Fathers, explains why Enoch and Elias are waiting out there in outer space. St. Thomas writes that these two men will return at the end of time to do battle with the Antichrist. Enoch will evangelize and organize the Jews who will seek baptism and convert to the Catholic faith during the reign of the Antichrist. Elijah will evangelize and organize the last wave of Gentiles that will convert to Christ during the Antichrist's reign of terror. Both prophets will be slain, that is, killed. Both prophets will be killed, keep in mind they have not died at this point. Rise again and ascend to heaven as explained in Apocalypse chapter 11. Dr. Marshall continues, I cannot help but wonder about the identity of atmospheric heaven. St. Thomas Aquinas sees it as synonymous with earthly paradise. This could be a location in outer space. It could be a place hidden on earth. Or perhaps it's the Garden of Eden transferred to another place. Their state, I imagine, would be one of natural paradise without the beatific vision. End quote from Dr. Marshall. So I agree. Uh, it's a natural paradise without the beatific vision. Where is it? We don't know. It's, it could be outer space, could be somewhere here on earth. But Enoch and Elias have not died. But they will die by the hands of the Antichrist, but then be raised by Jesus. So I know that's weird for converts from modernism like myself to hear that. Uh, but we do have to delineate between two heavens. The Empyrean heaven, where we have Jesus Mary, plus many souls of many saints, and the atmospheric heaven. But in both places, these four humans have their bodies and their souls. What four humans? Well, Enoch and Elias again in the atmospheric heaven have not just their souls, but their bodies where they've not died. But again, they will die by the Antichrist and then be raised by Christ again. And then who's in the Empyrean heaven? Well, the souls of millions or billions of saints, plus the bodies of a few. Who? Jesus and Mary and probably St. Joseph. All body and soul in the Empyrean heaven, and maybe some others too. Keep in mind St. Francis de Sales and other great saints held that St. Joseph was also assumed not just soul, 
butt, soul, and body into heaven. Again, we're talking the Empyrean heaven where they all have the beatific vision. But Enoch and Elias, they don't have the beatific vision probably, but they're somewhere in the atmospheric heaven, some paradise, waiting to come battle it out with the Antichrist. In my bet, pretty soon here, but of course I don't know. The Catechism, again, second part of this article, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The words he sitteth at the right hand of the Father form the second part of this article. In these words we observe a figure of speech, that is, a use of words in other than their literal sense, as frequently happens in Scripture when, accommodating its language to human ideas, it attributes human affections and human members to God, who, spirit as he is, admits of nothing corporeal. At the right hand of God. As among men, he who sits at the right hand is considered to occupy the most honorable place, so transferring the same idea to celestial things to express the glory which Christ as man has obtained above all others, we confess that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Sitteth. To sit does not imply here position and posture of body, but expresses the firm and permanent position, possession of royal and supreme power and glory, which he received from the Father, and of which the Apostle says, raising him up from the dead and setting him on his right hand in the heavenly places above all principality and power and virtue, and domination in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath subjected all things under his feet. See Ephesians chapter 1. These words manifestly imply that this glory belongs to our Lord in so special and exclusive a manner that it cannot apply to any other created being. Hence, in another place, the apostle testifies to which of the angels said he at any time, sit at my right hand, Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13. Me again. Notice, why did it just call Jesus a created being? Because he's both creator and he is, he does have a body and soul created by who? By himself, because he's God. So he is the eternal word who is never created, but he also has a body and soul that were created. So that's why it just said there, these words manifestly imply that this glory belongs to our Lord in so special and exclusive a manner that it cannot apply to any other created being. And then only one other thing to point out here, to sit, I'm just going to repeat what it said there. To sit does not imply here position and body posture, but expresses the firm and permanent possession of royal and supreme power and glory, which he received from the Father. The Catechism again, Reflections on the Ascension, its history. The pastor should explain the sense of the article more at length by detailing the history of the Ascension, of which the evangelist St. Luke has left us an orderly description in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 1. Greatness of this mystery. In this exposition, he should observe in the first place that all other mysteries refer to the Ascension as to their end and find in it their perfection and completion. For as all the mysteries of religion commence with the incarnation of our Lord, so his sojourn on earth terminates with his ascension. Moreover, the other articles of the creed, which regard Christ the Lord, show his great humility and lowliness. Nothing can be conceived more humble, nothing more lowly, than that the Son of God assumed our weak human nature and suffered and died for us. But nothing more magnificently, nothing more admirably, proclaims his sovereign glory and divine majesty than what is contained in the present and the preceding article, in which we declare that he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Me again.
So you know I'm in Greece right now, uh, probably elsewhere by the time this is put up a week later. I'm usually a week ahead on these uh, podcasts. And so I've been seeing different Greek Orthodox churches. And I do have to say the Eastern churches have a emphasis on the ascension that we've maybe lost a little bit in the West. But I use lost because I think it is something we once had this great emphasis on the ascension because the RCT today explains it this way, that all other mysteries, all, think about that, all other mysteries of Jesus' life refer to the ascension as to their end and find in it their perfection and completion. For as all the mysteries of religion commence with the incarnation of our Lord, so his sojourn on earth terminates with his ascension. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't think of Ascension Thursday as the perfection and completion of Jesus' earthly life, but that's exactly how we're supposed to think of it. Also, what is the virtue we meditate on in the first mystery of the joyful mysteries, that is the Annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary? We meditate on humility. Why do we meditate on humility? Because that's when Almighty God himself became a zygote, an embryo in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we see in the incarnation of God his great humility, but what do we see in the ascension? We see his glory. Even in his humanity, we see that glory, as we just read, that the other articles of the creed, which regard Christ the Lord, show his great humility and lowliness, but nothing can be conceived more humble, nothing more lowly than that the Son of God assumed our weak human nature and suffered and died for us, but nothing more magnificently, nothing more admirably proclaims his sovereign glory and divine majesty than the ascension. So today's mystery is greatly underrated. Oh, and by the way, last time I did say the Roman Catechism of Trent was written by St. Robert Bellarmine. I was wrong on that. I meant to say St. Charles Borromeo. Once the podcast was uploaded, I realized that was a mistake. I just Googled it now, and uh, the Angelus Press indicates that it was uh, written under the supervision of St. Charles Borromeo and promulgated by Pope St. Pius V. Okay, now last section of the Catechism today, and then we are going to have another section on the Ascension to come. Today's last paragraph here is very important, though. So listen closely. I don't have any more commentary following this, but I think this is so important that I would say you can even make this next paragraph an entire mental prayer day on heaven. It is so beautiful. Reasons of the Ascension. When the pastor has explained these truths, he should next accurately show why Christ the Lord ascended into heaven. First of all, he ascended because the glorious kingdom of the highest heavens, not the obscure abode of this earth, presented a suitable dwelling place for him whose body, rising from the tomb, was clothed with the glory of immortality. He ascended, however, not only to possess the throne of glory and the kingdom which he had merited by his blood, but also to attend to whatever regards our salvation. Again, he ascended to prove thereby that his kingdom is not of this world, John 18.36. For the kingdoms of the world are earthly and transient and are based upon wealth and the power of the flesh. But the kingdom of Christ is not, as the Jews expected, earthly, but rather spiritual and eternal. Its resources and riches too are spiritual, as he showed by placing his throne in the heavens, where they are counted richer and wealthier, who seek most earnestly the things that are of God. According to these words of St. James, Hath not God chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which God hath promised to them that love him? James 2. He also ascended into heaven in order to teach us to follow him thither in mind and heart. For as by his death and resurrection he bequeathed to us an example of dying and rising again in spirit, 
so by his ascension he teaches and instructs us that though dwelling on earth, we should raise ourselves in desire to heaven, confessing that we are pilgrims and strangers on the earth, seeking a country, Hebrews 11, and that we are fellow citizens with the saints and the domestics of God, Ephesians 2. For says the same apostle, our conversation is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Please say, an our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.